There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. Now, before we start with today's guest, I just wanted to have a quick word with you about the listener survey page on my website. I've been directing listeners there to give me feedback and to get some more information about you. But what I'm finding is, is that I've got no way of responding to you. So I'm going to be shutting down that survey. And I just wanted to direct listeners, if they want to continue the conversation, we've got a new Facebook discussion group, and it's at Shares for Beginners, all lowercase one word, and we can all start chatting. There's about 70 or 80 members there right now, and um, we'd love to welcome you along to learn a bit more. The other thing I just want to point out is a lot of people are asking me questions as though I'm some kind of expert. Now, I'm not an expert. What I'd really love people to do when they're contributing to the page is to have a question that they've answered for themselves and then to bring that to the group as well because we're all trying to learn together. Okay, so back to today's podcast. I'd like to welcome our guest. He's been on the podcast before, Michael D of Pythagoras Investing. G'day, Michael. G'day, Phil. How are you going? Good, good. Sorry to put you through all that, having to listen to that. Not a problem. <laughs> but we're trying to get listeners to do some work. <laughs> that's excellent. That's a good idea because that's the way we learn, isn't it? That's right. And I'm no expert. You are, I'm not. So, Michael, this conversation we're about to have came about because we were chatting about the future. I'd been speaking with Evan McGuire, a broker who's also been a guest on previous episodes of this podcast. We were both in furious agreement about the disastrous long-term economic effects of COVID-19 and the lockdowns. I then spoke with you, Michael... And you had a more positive view about markets, despite the economic repercussions and gloom. Michael, please explain. Gosh, that's a Pauline Hanson reference. <laughs> Look, to say that I was positive on the economy wouldn't be entirely correct. But the reality is that the stock market is not the economy. And we have to um, understand that and separate those two concepts. Now, when we were speaking, it was that I was actually far more comfortable with what I'd seen of, let's call it the other side. And what that means is I had drawn a great amount of comfort in the prospects of recovery. And in that, stock markets can draw great comfort. And when they draw comfort, share prices begin to rise. Now, I think even in that conversation, I said to you, I expect the numbers in terms of economics and earnings to fall, and I still expect that. But you've seen, as I have, a bottoming of the market, which was about the 23rd or 4th of March from 4,000. Just before we go on here, we should timestamp this episode that we were recording on Tuesday, June 2nd, 2020, second day of winter. Absolutely. So we were talking right about the end of March. And for me, I had a, a very good understanding of where China was up to. And the Chinese economy was starting to come out of lockdown. And 
the notion I had in my mind at that moment was I could see no better place to invest in the world. But it also gave me a lead in to understand what an economy would begin to look like once COVID-19 had passed. So it gave me the confidence to be optimistic, even knowing that the economy was going to get worse and, and still today will. So that's why I had a far greater level of optimism. I knew in the middle of March that we couldn't see the down, we couldn't see the other side and the markets were accelerating quickly on the downside. As soon as we got a grip on what was going to be, that's when markets turned. So it's a really important difference to think uh, about an economy versus a market. Now, if we add to that, I'm sure you would know, but 26% of the top 200 stocks by market weight is in banks. And not only that, 18% in miners and 13% in one company in the healthcare sector called Commonwealth Serum Laboratories or CSL. So we're not looking at a mimic of the economy. We are really looking at a very artificial instrument. So that probably explains a little bit more of why I was able to be more optimistic, even knowing that stock markets overshoot. By that, I mean they go too positive and they go too negative. So that's where we were at at that stage. So even banks, Michael, I mean, uh, look at the trouble that banks seem to be going into. And if housing prices crash, that's going to have a terrible effect on uh, the share price of banks, isn't it? So I'm, I'm not a big lover of banks at the moment. The um, pressure that's been <laughs> You have mentioned to- this to before to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, the pressure brought to bear from the government on the banking sector means that the banks are going to have to cop more bad debts. And uh, there's an old adage that says, if you're going to have a disaster, you may as well have a big one. And by the banks estimating that house prices will be down 20, 30%, and then making provisions against their profit in one year, it seems to me that they're having a bad year in one year. And they've got the opportunity to write back that bad debt provision in years to come, which actually goes as a positive towards their profits. But having said all of that, there's more bad debts in the system. There are lots of people unemployed. There are lots of people who can't pay their debts. That's a sad reality of the environment we're in. So in terms of banks, I don't have a level of real excitement or interest for the next 12 months. Uh, In terms of housing, my view is different in that I think housing will only go down 3 to 5%. And when COVID-19 is shown to be roughly ending, what we'll see is a resurgence in interest in housing because there aren't a lot of places to invest your money, inadvertent commas, safely. And people view property as safety. And so at the moment, we're going through a process of having house prices, some revised downwards where they have to sell and others simply not moving their price or withdrawing their property for sale. And realestate.com.au showed in April a reduction of 33% on the previous year's listings. So that's already happening. Property's already coming off. The pressure, the weight of sellers is coming out of that market. So we actually believe that by Christmas time, it'll almost be as if COVID-19 never happened to the property market. 
So that's quite different. Phil, the other thing is people look to do more basic things when they're under duress like this. So instead of selling their home because they're looking for something bigger, they may add a room. They may have become tired of the drab four walls through the lockdown and want to paint. They may want to fix a bathroom or a kitchen. And there are stocks that can benefit from that. As a for instance, if you've driven past Bunnings recently, the line out of Bunnings and therefore Wes Farmers is enormous. GWA is another company that renovates bathrooms or, or provides the products for for bathrooms and kitchens. Crime is one of their brands. So even at a grassroots level, just by looking around the neighbourhood, we can see who's doing well and who's not. So what kind of market recovery do you see? Actually, on the um, I've seen the, all these different alphabets. There's an alphabet of the recovery, you know, whether it's a V-shaped recovery or a W-shaped recovery or a long extended U-shaped recovery. What the, how do you see the the market recovery? So the market, again, very differently from the economy. The economy is probably uh, U-shaped if you wanted a reference, but the market I see is anticipating the, reco- the recovery in earnings much more quickly. Now, it's my belief that we're going to be in for a heavy stock pickers market for the coming 12 months, but in all, what I see is about a 5% reduction on our highs in February of 2021. So our high was about 7,150. And what I'm saying is I believe that we'll get to 6,800 at the time of February of 2021. Now, what that means is we've still got a fair bit of upside and we could still end up not having too much damage as long as people choose the right sectors and the right stocks and are much more proactive with their investors' investments as time goes by. Okay, so Michael, you've talked about the banks, but are there any other thoughts about particular sectors that um, you'll be looking at during that time period? I think oil and gas is a very interesting place to be on the basis that the last number of months, oil and gas providers, engineers and others have been really hit hard. And at their worst, they were 70% down and the worst sector in the world. Now, if you look underneath the hood and think about oil and what happened when we went into lockdown, we no longer used our cars, our aeroplanes and our trains. And so the consumption for those very basic things actually went lacking, went missing. At that particular time, there was a double whammy for oil, wasn't there? There was the um, the lack of consumption, but then there was an oversupply by the major producers at the same time. Is that the case? Yes, that's the case. It was, in actual fact, rooted in the fact that oil is stored in a number of different repositories around the world. And because the oil producers had actually continued producing for too long too quickly because it's not easy to turn these wells off. The storage facilities were coming up to being full. And you you might remember that oil got sold down to minus $37, which when you look back on it is more than comical, it's insane. And so you had two things, a, a lack of demand and a lack of ability to physically store the oil. And that pushed the price way down. In fact, after that shock of minus $37, it ended up back at about 
10 to $12. Now, today, second day of June, we are back in the low 30s. Pre the coronavirus, it was in the low 50s. And one of the most important providers of oil is shale oil out of the US. Now, every time OPEC cut production to try and keep a steady oil price around the world, the US shale oil providers filled the gap. So OPEC was never getting a benefit out of reducing its oil. It was just handing market share to the, to the Americans. Now, that caused a lot of discontent. And I would argue to you today that a lot of the uh, machinations within the oil market have been aimed at keeping oil price low to put a lid on the shale oil providers out of the US. Now, what does that mean for us today? We're now starting to come out of the pandemic. We're now getting back in our automobiles. Some of us have even starting to book flights. So we're starting to re-engage after the cut in production, our use of oil. Now, that has an effect on stocks, future earnings, and that has an effect on sentiment. So in terms of oil and gas providers, that's an area that I'm really quite attracted to and really see some fantastic returns over the next 12 months. ShareSite is an online portfolio tracking tool that automatically records trades, dividends, ETF distributions, and gives you the reporting tools you need to help you manage your portfolio. ShareSite is pleased to extend a special offer to listeners of this podcast. Four months free on an annual premium plan. Go to ShareSite.com slash shares for beginners and sign up now for a free trial before taking advantage of four free months. It'll help you save money at tax time and improve your investing decisions. That's ShareSite.com slash shares for beginners. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's interesting. I was having a conversation with Tony Kynaston, who you know very well. You've appeared on his podcast, the QAV podcast. And I wasn't sure whether you're aware, but he was originally from the oil and gas industry. I think it was Shell that he worked for for a long time. And when I was discussing with him about oil supply, he was just basically saying that there was going to come a point where there was just nowhere else to put the oil. Every storage facility, every oil tanker in the world was absolutely full. And that's exactly what happened. Mm. And that's that's what caused people to sell that instrument or the oil instrument down. Remember that when you buy an oil contract, you actually have to buy the equivalent of 10,000 barrels of oil. Now, I don't know about you, but I couldn't put that in my backyard. <laughs> so that rules me out of being able to participate in that market in any way, shape or form if I have to take delivery mm-hmm. because all of this oil trading is futures-based. Yep. And if you take delivery, if you go to the final point on a futures contract, 
you have to be able to take delivery. So this was a, a very extreme set of um, manipulation in a market which was quite sensitive already. So I I will be able to buy, write books on this topic later on in life. So in terms of um, Aussie exposure, uh, companies on the ASX that are exposed to this market and the price of oil and gas, which ones are you particularly looking at at the moment without giving recommendations, obviously? Thank you. Yes, we, we, we don't do that. That's, so we're not recommending these shares, no, just talking about them in general terms. That, that's right. If you think about oil and gas in Australia, probably our biggest is Woodside on the Northwest Shelf, the most magnificent facility. You've then got Santos out of South Australia. You've got Oil Search, which operates uh, out of PNG. You've got other companies like BP, Beach Petroleum. So they're all giving you an exposure, an approximation to what's going on in oil. Now, Woodside is not, not necessarily dealing in oil all day and every day, but what it does is equivalent to oil. So there's a, uh, a great big market in Japan and Europe and even China that participates in the products that uh, Woodside sell. So it's not that I'm particularly biased towards one of them, but the opportunity to participate in oil is given to you via any of those companies and some others that I haven't mentioned today. Okay, well, let's um, turn our attention to China. There are many people these days who are becoming quite hostile to China because what they see is the um, the kind of economy they run and the way the influence they're having around the world and you know the blame of course for the virus. You've got a different view of uh, China and uh, that the hostility towards them is not necessarily justified. Absolutely, I think like all things uh, in our world at the moment, there's a lot of misinformation and there's a lot of fake news, if I could use that back to the man in the US. The reality, Phil, is that China is so much a part of our future. It buys so much of our raw material and it's such a near neighbour that to ignore it is nothing short of foolish. We've antagonised the Chinese by having a foot in the China trade camp and the alliance with the US. Now, they have put up with that until really just recently. And as a result of the US pushing and prodding and making the world turn toward China and and look at them with dubious eyes, particularly to do with um, the coronavirus, they have now started to change the way they uh, use diplomacy. And they've actually named it themselves the wolf warrior diplomacy. If you just think about a wolf and the way it bears its teeth, it's probably the closest approximation to what they've been doing. Now, the difficulty with that is, even though America talks a lot and acts a little, the Chinese talk little and act a lot. Now, We've been having and putting tariffs on Chinese products up to 144% for years, and they've complained about it, and we've done nothing. And recently, we were given a warning to say, if you don't change your ways, we're going to impose tariffs on you. And within 10 days, I think it was, we had barley. Now, the thing about barley is that's pretty much written our farmers out of selling barley into China. Did you know, Phil, two days later, they were buying it from the US? Now, 
something's afoot there. Then not long afterwards, they stopped buying from the uh, beef abattoirs and they continued to buy from the beef abattoirs that they've got an ownership in. And the plot starts to thicken. Now, I want to take you back a little bit. The start of the coronavirus, as we know it, was January. And that's when China started to talk about it. But we also know that it was present in China, in Wuhan, for some time. We don't know how long. But I want to put this little quizzical piece of information to you. That at the end of October, there was such a thing called the military games where 100 countries from all around the world and 10,000 athletes came to compete in the town of Wuhan, which is the, the place that coronavirus emanated from. So to actually turn to China and point the finger and blame about coronavirus, I think is premature and foolish. COVID-2 was exhibited in the US. That's actually a recorded fact. Uh, so this is not a new um, virus. I think what Trump's doing here is positioning against China and trying to cause the rest of the world to be negative about a communist nation because it suits the agenda. So I think when you look at it in totality and think about Australia and where we live and where our future is and the growth in China and then the growth in India, we are the luckiest nation on earth in so many ways but that's one of the reasons. So I'm not negative on China. I am very interested in the bulk providers of iron ore and other commodities that we sell into that nation. And I think there are some wonderful opportunities in Rio and, and perhaps Fortescue, not so much BHP, but opportunities there that give us the opportunity to um, make money for our future, for our super funds, for our kids and our way of life. And I think that's incredibly important. We don't lose sight of that. And let's face it, the GFC, really, they pulled our chestnuts out of the fire by um, contributing the greatest terms of trade that Australia had ever seen to help us through. And really, we uh, weren't that badly affected by the GFC at the time. Absolutely. Now, that was partly because we had very high interest rates relatively mm -hmm. and we had a good debt position in the country. But the one thing China did was it pulled out the biggest rescue package. Now, they got to buy a lot of commodities. They redirected oil pipelines into their country through that period. They benefited enormously. But the, the GFC, even though in our memories it lasted a long time, the recovery in all of those basic commodities and stock markets really did happen very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And it, it takes me back to a conversation we were having recently about the recovery in the markets today. Now, the Chinese have not issued a stimulus package of any great substance. And that fascinates me. And it tells me that the Chinese have an interest in this lasting just a bit longer so that they can do extra things, accumulate more commodities, take advantage of weak prices and really make a fist of what is a, an unfortunate situation. For listeners of this podcast, if we could just spend a couple of minutes explaining what a commodity is and why commodities are so important in the Australian economy. That's a wonderful question. So a commodity, let's give it an example, iron ore. Australia is naturally gifted with huge quantities of iron ore. 
Now, iron ore is what goes into furnaces to create steel. In Australia, typically we've been very good at exporting things that other people use and create products out of, and iron ore is no exception. A lot of iron ore gets sent to China. It is used in all sorts of infrastructure build, including roads, rail, transport, buildings. It's a very integral part of the development of China. Now, why it's important to China is to industrialize, and this is an enormously populous country. They need to consume every year 20 to 40% of the world's commodities. Isn't that a staggering fact? Australia is right on its doorstep. And on its doorstep are some of the biggest iron ore deposits of high quality and and the correct amount of um, iron. So for us, we've got a natural uh, ability to benefit. Now, let's think about the way we benefit. Firstly, it employs quite a lot of people in Australia. There's quite a lot of infrastructure that's built uh, in and around. Some of those railway systems in the Northwest Shelf are the most fascinating pieces of machinery and uh, engineering you'll ever see. Now, if you add to that, the money then comes into our listed companies. Let's call it Rio, BHP and Fortescue. That money is going into our super funds in terms of earnings and accretion in, in our share prices. The money from dividends and special dividends that the likes of Rio have paid is going into the hands of the individual investors. That's going to paying our grocery bills and buying whatever it is that we desire. And that goes into, you know, paying the handyman that comes and fixes the aerial on the roof or whatever it is. So that money flows out of China for the industrialization of China into Australia and ricochets its way right across the economy. And uh, also the royalties that they pay to the state governments as they dig it out as well. Absolutely. The reality is it's so important for Australia to make sure that we get that into the right hands. Now, Phil, I think the demand for iron ore is in the order of a billion or more tonnes per annum into China. And we send about 870, I think, if my memory is correct, into China. And one of the other big producing nations is Brazil, and one of the big companies is Vale. Uh, They are having trouble with uh, not only the stability of those mines, but getting the product to China in a reliable fashion. Now, one thing's for sure, you don't turn a blast furnace off in a hurry. And if that product is not there reliably, um, as we can do, then we've got a problem, Houston. So it's a, it's, as I say, it's a natural gift that Australia has that keeps us really revving along. So let's talk about Pythagoras and the Pythagoras offering and the special deal and website that you've set up for this particular podcast. Geopolitical and a lot of the things we've spoken about today is important because they move prices. And when things happen on the other side of the world that have implications over here, the ricochet of share prices around the world is actually quite significant. And so we're trying to help people understand a lot of these issues as they unfold. So what we do is a bit different 
the stock market is generally analysed through events. And with those events, analysis occurs and then everyone knows the right answer and tries to do the same thing at the same time. And that ends up in, a, in being an exercise in futility. Now, what we do is different. I would call that previous approach reactive. What we're doing is quite proactive. That is that we construct volatility indexes for every stock. We measure, track and analyse the changes in volatility as they occur. And what we know is that changes in volatility precede changes in price. So for our clients, we're making recommendations to take advantage of that change in price, whether it should be a buy ahead of a positive up or a sell in front of a downward movement. Now, what we do is simple to the end user in that we send at about quarter past 12 the recommendation that's relevant to that stock that people have chosen. And if it's a buy, there'll be a price limit that you ought to pay. If it's a sell, there's a timing of a sell. And they're critical things when you're dealing in the stock market to know. It takes away the burden of having to do the research and being across a stock by giving you the ability to be an investor without having to do all the hard yakka. That's what we do. And that's what we get paid for. And so we diversify into stocks in that we'll buy multiple times through a cycle. Now, typically a cycle is when a share price pulls back and actually has a reduction in price. You'll see us in there buying. And on that web page that you referred to there, which is our web address, www.pythagorasinvesting.com forward slash SFB, you'll see a reference to a chart for A2 Milk. Now, it's the last couple of months of data so that you get an understanding as to what happened, but you'll see two bouts of buying, just four buys in each, and then selling occurs. And you see that you have the opportunity in a pullback when the rest of the market dropped 18%. A2 Milk didn't fall anywhere near as far, having the opportunity to be investing in that time where everybody else has panicked led to our clients for that stock making four lots of 9% on those first four buys. And then not long afterwards, as the market started to regain a little bit more courage, another four buys, which made about another 9%. So these opportunities to profit, these opportunities to participate in these pullbacks and share price uh, variations exhibit themselves all of the time. Now, the only way to make this real is to say to you that the returns for our 70 stocks over the last five years realised is 18.2%. Now, at the same time, the stock market hasn't even been able to achieve 5% growth. And so these are calendar years up until the end of December. So I understand, Phil, that a lot of your listeners are starting out on their investment journey. And on that basis, I admire that because I can remember when I was first starting and it was a great thrill for me to be investing in the stock market. It's like, it's like remembering your first beer, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it didn't taste so good, that one. <laughs> but 
And I know that one of the things that I always struggled with is a shortage of capital. And so what I'd like to offer your listeners is the opportunity to participate in uh, one of one, two, three, four or five of stocks that we've chosen and put on the website uh, for you to buy at quite a heavily discounted price at two thirds off. And that offer's open for just 12 months um, for people to subscribe to from now. And if they can uh, find their way to make some money and enjoy investing our way, uh, we'd love to have them aboard as as a client of ours. Michael D., thank you very much for coming on the podcast again. It's been uh, great chatting with you. That's a pleasure, Phil. And I wish you well and uh, happy investing in what is going to be a year full of being extra clever. (laughs) Opportunities. I should also add that um, you appear quite regularly on AusBiz TV if people want to find out more about you. And you've also been on Tony Kynaston's QAV podcast, and I'll put a link in the show notes about that as well so that uh, people can find out absolutely everything they need to about you. Okay, Michael? Absolutely. That's great. Thanks, Phil. Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Shares for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. Thanks to Christopher Soulos for music production with that special Greekalicious flavour. Remember, music always flows, even when the money won't. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>